0: Welcome to the Not Old Yet Podcast, where we explore the subject of aging from a fresh new perspective. Each week, you will learn how to look, feel, and be youthful, no matter your age or stage of life. Tune in each episode to hear words of wisdom, stories of hope, and keeping it real advice from your host, Elizabeth Vanderveer. We got a beautiful story.
1: Everyone, I'm Elizabeth Vanderveer, your host of the Not Old Yet global podcast and videocast. Thank you so much for watching and all of your five-star reviews. We really appreciate it. Today, we are continuing a conversation about particularly PTSD and other mental health disorders and the amazing new treatment that is available to everyone now because of people like my special guest today, Dr. Stephen Mandel is an amazing physician that I've become acquainted with in LA and I've received my own treatment with ketamine for my own PTSD at his beautiful clinic. And today we're going to talk to him and learn a little bit more about this treatment. We could spend hours on this topic and we probably will because you guys are so interested in this, as was I. So Dr. Stephen Mandel has a master's in psychology He also has his medical degree from the University of Southern California. He has his internship and residency in anesthesiology and went to Harvard for that and finished at UCLA. This is a very illustrious career. And now he continues on in his career after over 35 years, and he's got the Ketamine Clinics of Los Angeles. And He is truly one of the most extraordinary physicians that I've met. From all of his compassion, his passion, his interest in helping people beyond just doing something novel, he truly cares about people. In his clinic, he's performed over 9,000 infusions and treated over 1,100 patients. He's been featured on The Doctors, CBS, PBS, many written blogs and other things, and I'm not even doing it justice. He's been married for 34 years, has four children, and truly is someone that I aspire to be like, and I look up to him. Dr. Mendel, welcome, and thank you so much for joining the Not Old Yet podcast. You are a shining example of what the Not Old movement is about.
0: Thanks so much, Elizabeth. That's a beautiful introduction. I'm very happy to be on Not Old Yet And to be able to share what I do, which is really keeping me young and very excited and very engaged with patients. I'm not sure where you want me to start. You just give me a lead and I'll go.
1: Well, Um, you have a master's in psychology. I don't
0: know about ketamine because I've been doing this for a long time. I'm a pioneer in it and I'm just, even after six years of doing it every day, I am constantly inspired by what I'm able to help patients to achieve.
1: Well, I'm going to dive right in here. I was in another state last week, and I was talking to another anesthesiologist with a ketamine clinic in that state, and I was asking him about it and what his opinion was. And he said, you know, he was kind of skeptical until his family member, who had suffered from debilitating chronic depression, suicidal, in and out of institutions, it sounds like, just debilitated went for a procedure for something under anesthesia, received ketamine infusion for the procedure and woke up. And the first thing she apparently said was, I feel great. I'm not depressed anymore. And this was like completely unrelated to being treated for depression. So the father, an anesthesiologist, checked the records and was like, what the heck was that that she just got? And it was ketamine. So Explain your background. You have a master's in psychology, which is way cool, and because you deal with psychological issues, but then you have your boards and your training in anesthesia, which seems like the perfect marriage for ketamine. So how did you get there? And how did we get there?
0: I'll tell you how we got there, but I must say your story is fabulous. It really recapitulates how ketamine got discovered. Oh good! As, as a no kidding, as a powerful medicine for helping people with mood disorders. Now I went to graduate school in clinical psychology. I got my master's, and in fact, I got everything toward my Ph.D. short of the dissertation. I even did the pilot project. I was in graduate school for four years, and I did all of my requirements to <laughs> becoming a clinical psychologist. And I had the opportunity to go to medical school at USC. And I came out and I I got fascinated by anesthesia and by life support and by an artificial lung. And I went to Harvard to do anesthesia because at Harvard, we had the um, ICUs were under the control of anesthesia. And we had a guy there who was working on Henning Pitapodon, was working on an artificial lung. And I wanted to work with him. Anyway, I... Finished there and I completed my residency at UCLA and I went out into the community as an anesthesiologist. I continued to be very interested in mood disorders and in psychology, but I didn't do that professionally. I did anesthesia, mostly operative anesthesia.
1: So you were and, mostly in the OR? Well, for your yes, mostly
0: in the OR, except that anesthesia was transitioning from inpatient to outpatient as surgery transitioned when I started my residency, over 70% of operations were done in hospital. Mm-hmm. And now it's about 25%. It's just remarkable what's happened. And it happened, that evolution, the major share of that evolution happened as I was starting out on my career. In fact, I, after doing anesthesia in, in hospital for a while, I founded a, a mobile anesthesia service. Mm-hmm. And I got an SUV and I got a crash cart and a defibrillator and suction and oxygen and I went around to plastic surgeons and to dental offices and podiatrists and interventional radiology yes. clinics. That's I so cool. It was fabulous. It was really fun and very very useful because these people didn't have to come in hospital right. to have these procedures done and they could be recovered safely and spend the night at home mm. and it's an enormous comfort to patients and then it's an enormous saving of public resources that they don't have to be overnight in hospital. It's also much safer because hospitals are places where germs congregate as well as people. And they're awful places to get infected because those are superbugs and they're just awful. Anyway, I continued to do anesthesia and I used ketamine, but I used all the other anesthetics as well. Ketamine was originally synthesized in 1962. It became approved in 1970. And it immediately became the darling of the battlefield set because ketamine as an anesthetic is an analgesic. It kills pain in lower doses. Hmm. So we were at war with, in Vietnam at that time. And medics could give an intramuscular injection of ketamine and it would enable the wounded to actually participate in their own evacuation. Because they could move on shattered limbs and lift because they they weren't hurting.
1: They would still be awake.
0: Yes. Hmm. Yes, because it's a lower than full anesthetic dose and it kills pain. Most anesthetics are not like that. In any event, Hmm. ketamine became the most widely used anesthetic in the world, literally. The World Health Organization has it among its list of 50 essential medicines that all countries should offer their citizens. Ketamine is one of only two anesthetics. Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. It's What's still the other on the other list, propofol? and it's still the most, just about the most widely used anesthetic in the
1: world. What's the other anesthetic?
0: Propofol.
1: Yeah, I said propofol. Yeah, yep. Michael Jackson drug. <laughs> That's what everyone knows it as. No, yeah, it's unfortunate. Mr. Jackson did
0: not receive his propofol from an anesthesiologist, <laughs> uh, and he self-administered. Mm -hmm. And it's really kind of, you know, I'm smiling here, but it's sad. And he had a very varied past. And there are some things we wouldn't be so proud of about Michael Jackson, but he was an amazing musician. And for him to end really in middle life, is just so sad and so unnecessary. Yeah. I don't believe he was a suicide. I think he was a mistake in dosing. Really? But, But I don't want to digress. Anyway, I did anesthesia using ketamine, and to go back to the story that you told at the beginning, we began to see, because I followed the move monitor literature as well as the anesthesia literature. In the 90s, mostly veterans kept, or not veterans, but service-connected people kept coming back to the States and having anesthesia because they needed surgery to repair war injuries. And many of them woke up just like the man's daughter you described at the beginning. They said, I'm not depressed anymore. And some of them didn't say anything, but they were known to have PTSD. Hmm. And yet they woke up able to smile, not startling so much, sleeping through the night, not needing to sit with their back to the wall and their eyes on the door. And some smart people, unfortunately, their, their names are lost to history, said, it couldn't be the ketamine. Oh, come on. ketamine's an anesthetic. Come on, what's going on with these guys? But it kept happening. And finally, somebody did a demonstration study. And in 2000, Berman published the first observational study of ketamine for mood disorders. And it was found, and it was originally in PTSD, and it was found ketamine in small doses, much smaller than anesthetic doses, would lift mood and relieve suicidal thoughts and eliminate many of the symptoms of. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Wow, this was really exciting, but very hard to believe. Ketamine's an anesthetic; it puts people to sleep, as you said. So I watched this through the zeros. But around 2006, a guy named Zaradi at the National Institute of Mental Health did the first controlled, double-blind study of ketamine versus placebo for mood disorders, and he had fabulous results. I think. 68 or 69% of Zerati's patients. Now, these are patients, Elizabeth, who had tried every possible treatment for depression before they got into Zerati's group. These were not people who were sad because their puppy died or their engagement broke off. These were people who were profoundly depressed. And yet they had tremendous benefits. Oh, they were profoundly depressed and had tried all the remedies the SSRIs, the SNRIs, the atypicals, the antipsychotics, the mood stabilizers, mm-hmm. many of them had also tried ECT. Wow. These were people at the end of their line. And very poignantly, one of the people who founded the Ketamine Advocacy Network, which has been a champion for ketamine, Dennis Hartman, I'm not outing him, he's perfectly public about this, was in that group. And it saved money to get ready to kill himself and use some of that money to go to Washington and get in the NIH study, thinking he would still have enough left if it didn't work, and it probably wouldn't work. Well, it did work. And Dennis has been a champion for uh, for ketamine and an advocate for ketamine ever since. In any event, Definitely. I got really excited. I was still doing anesthesia, Yeah, but I began increasingly to look for people who I could try ketamine infusions on, people who are depressed or suicidal or suffering from PTSD and who had tried everything and hadn't been relieved. And I did it in my spare time after anesthetics and I did it for free. And I was just shocked at the success. It was unbelievable. You know, people go to medical school and they really endure a lot to get in and then they do endure a lot to learn, and they basically whatever people say, they basically they want to help people. They want to get the thrill of being instrumental in someone being transformed. Right. And to have this medicine able to do that was such a joy for me, really rejuvenating. I can tell you, as short or as long as you like, I turned away from anesthesia. I found another guy to help. I was chief of anesthesia at a plastic surgery clinic at the time. And I was using their recovery room to do my infusions in the afternoon while my plastic surgery patients were recovering. And I got so busy with the ketamine patients that I passed on the anesthesiology responsibility. And I went on to do ketamine infusions. And at the time, you know, it's only six years ago. But in terms of the the landscape, it's totally different. That was really, you know, I had friends who were psychiatrists who said to me, you know. Stephen, I really like you, but I'm not going to send you anyone. Why not? I mean, this really works. Well, maybe it does and maybe it doesn't, but I'm not going to be first. I wouldn't want my name on this. These same guys are now sending me patients all the time.
1: It brings up a really good point that in medicine, you sometimes have to be putting your neck out to see progress and to move medicine forward. I used to offer a procedure that I actually got an FDA warning letter about because I was saying it was safe and effective, and it was, and I got an FDA warning letter, shut down my practice for that particular uh, service, and lo and behold, just a couple years later, WHO FDA approves it for Allergan, our government. So (laughs) I'm thrilled to see that you put yourself out there You didn't get hammered for it. You didn't get shut down by somebody. I mean, whatever you did, you did right. And now it's become an accepted part of the industry, really without necessarily having to use an FDA-approved drug for that indication. Are you guys still using it off-label, or is it FDA-approved IV?
0: Ketamine is approved by the FDA for anesthesia,
1: Right. Okay. So it's off label IV for the mood disorder. It.
0: Yeah, it's gotten more more complicated than that though, Elizabeth, because in March of this year, ketamine is a molecule composed of two isomers. Isomers are identical chemicals that are different in shape. Molecules have shapes, they have structure. And there's an R for right and L for S, S for sinister in Latin. It's left.
1: Right. Um, left is... An R sitting.
0: and an S isomer of ketamine. They're mirror images, like my left and right hands are mirror images. They fit together. They mirror perfectly. But if you put them up, you see this hand has a thumb on the left, and this hand has a thumb on the right. Isomers, they're identical chemically, but they're different shape and space. Janssen Pharmaceuticals was able to get the S isomer of the mixture of 50-50 mixture of racemic or natural ketamine that we use and patented. And the FDA approved their S-ketamine given by nasal insufflation to squirt up the nose in March of this year. It's 10 times, no, it's a hundred times as expensive, literally and very cumbersome to administer. But ketamine or S-ketamine anyway, for intranasal use is approved for depression by the FDA. Right. Uh, The mixture of the S plus the R, 50-50, given any other way, or even that way by nasal insufflation is not approved by the FDA. And it's not likely to be because it costs literally many millions of dollars to get approval. And Janssen, which was then wholly bought by Johnson and Johnson, now a wholly owned subsidiary, uh, Janssen's willing to spend that money. And then Johnson Johnson picked them up and they were willing to spend that money because they could get a patent and they could charge a lot of money for about 18 years. And so, maybe with extensions even more than that. Unfortunately for patients, and really, I guess for shareholders too, it doesn't work nearly as well as racemic ketamine given intravenously. Spravato, the trade name for the Johnson & Johnson product, is effective a little over 40% of the time. Ketamine infusions in my clinic, Ketamine Clinics of Los Angeles, is effective for depression and suicidality over 80% of the time. Wow. And it costs much less. So I, I am a Spravato provider, and I'm quite willing to give it to people after they have been exposed to what the options are. Now I haven't had anyone decide to take spravado after they've heard the differences.
1: Really? That's, if you want it. That's interesting. So tell us a bit about what happens when you give ketamine to someone and what should they expect. I've explained my experience in the past, but I'll do a little interjection, but What would you say from a provider's point of view is happening to my brain when I get my infusion? And why does it make me better? Because I got better, a lot better after. I've had three treatments now at your clinic.
0: That's wonderful. And I'm very glad you did. And you've asked several different questions. If you want to talk about how it works in your body.
1: Yeah. Why does ketamine work when nothing else seems to work, or treatment-resistant anxiety, depression, PTSD, pain? You said the other day when we were talking that pain is incredibly helped. So I figured between pain, depression, and anxiety, you've got fifty percent of the population that's adult population that should come and see you. So. (laughs) <laughs> uh, let's talk about why it works, because it does work. An 80% response rate is just outstanding, you know? Yeah,
0: it's hard to believe. It seems like, oh, come on, it couldn't be that high. It is that high. It's actually higher for suicidality. But I'm talking about for depression, either from bipolar disorder or major depressive disorder, 83% in my
1: clinic. So how does it work? What does it do to our brain?
0: Well, let me give you the short answer and the honest answer. We don't know how ketamine works. Now, I'll give you the mechanism du jour, and it changes almost weekly. Ketamine affects the NMDA receptors, the glutamate receptors in the brain. It also affects the AMPA receptors. These are very ubiquitous receptors that are all over the brain, but they have some nuances that make some of them much more responsive to ketamine in some areas of the brain and others, particularly in the lateral habanula, in the prefrontal cortex, in the amygdala. Why these areas, we don't know. But we do know that, at least in laboratory models, if you give depressed animals ketamine, these areas of the brain actually plump up. They actually have brain growth. You can see new synapses, new receptors, increased receptor density. Hmm. increased connection, literally. That's if awesome. take these animals away and re-depress them, these same areas will involute. And if you give litter mates who are also depressed the ketamine, their brains will plump up again. They will get new growth in these areas. Wow. So it's just remarkable. Hmm. Now, the ketamine does not do this directly. It starts a chain that either goes through the GABA receptors or the AMPA receptors, and through an elaborate biochemical process, leads to the elaboration of something called BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor. And brain-derived neurotropic factor stimulates new growth in the brain, Hmm. in people and in other animals. And whether you're four and a half or 95, we haven't actually had any four and a half year olds or any ninety-five year olds, but we've had early adolescents and we've had people in their eighties. We had one person in her nineties, actually. We don't actually measure brain growth in humans. It requires slicing up the brain and staining it. And, you know, My son does
1: it. that at UCLA. I know. No, about that. Okay. It's not something you want done to your human brain. No,
0: no, but people really get relief very quickly, astoundingly quickly, and the relief persists. You'll see in the literature, oh, it only lasts a short time. Well, one infusion does only last typically a short time, but a series will last typically three months, and will give people relief. Now, when I'm talking about depression here, I'm talking about people who are really, really out of it, really down. Often, they can't get out of bed in the morning. They Can't be good spouses. They can't be good parents. They can't be good employees. They're getting no joy from life. Pleasure is one of the first things that goes. Music starts to sound like noise. Food starts to taste like sawdust. A hug feels like entrapment. They are full of hopelessness, helplessness, worthlessness. I guess it sounds awful the way I'm putting it. It really is worse than I've been able to describe it. Awful, and it's a very common affliction. We can discuss why maybe later, but it's about 7% of our population, literally millions and millions of people have depression. It is the leading cause of disability in the United States. More than cancer, more than heart disease, more than accidents, depression. People actually lose work. They cease to be able to parent. They cease to be able to be spouses. They cease to be able to get up and go to work. Or they do go to work and they drag themselves there and they do it through clenched teeth and they hate it and they go home and crawl into bed and wish they weren't going to wake up in the morning and get up in the morning and do it again. Yeah, just
1: subsiding, just barely getting by or joylessly getting by how many people that I serve as a physician that just were going through the motions and I was too for a long time I've talked about how for me PTSD was like a steamroller a freight train that once my thoughts started or the flashback started then it would just keep going and going and going and I couldn't Mm -hmm. stop it and what ketamine did for me was like those things that like kill your tires you know it pops up and it just (laughs) It stops the rumination and, That's it's, great. It stops it and it kind of takes the air out of the tire, quite frankly. So it's not that it doesn't start still. It's sometimes the rumination, the stress, the worry, the anxiety does start, but then it just kind of loses flame and it got better immediately after ketamine. I think another nice thing for a physician, and this is why I love doing aesthetics and Botox and fillers in particular is the quick results. You know, it's so hard to tell someone go wait 30, 60, 90, 120 days to see a result like you do with traditional medicines. And not only do they get discouraged, but you get discouraged because we all want to help people and make them feel better. And if you can have someone wake up out of their comfy chair or their even on the operating table and say, "I feel great." Like what a life changer it is for the provider and the patient. It's really exciting. So talk to me about, give me the, well, you've kind of given me the one end of the bell curve of who could come in and I've I've seen them in your waiting room. Every time I've gone to your beautiful clinic and I'm going to call it white glove because you have the best staff. They're just loving and joyful people that made me feel Incredible at a time that I had a lot of shame even about walking in to get treated and say I had PTSD and everything. And they were wonderful. But I've come in every time the waiting room's packed, and sometimes there's people in wheelchairs and everything. But now I want you to take me to the other end. I want you to take me to the worried well, who is like the people I used to see as a physician with Botox, but they're having, they're suffering and they're having five bottles of pills in front of them at night and a bottle of wine. And I've been there, done that, you know? And so who is an appropriate patient at the other end? I'm well healed. I'm surviving, but I'm suffering. What level can come in and get these treatments or when will I be turned away?
0: We are not likely to turn anyone away who could benefit. If you're, feeling hopeless, if you're feeling hopeless, you're feeling worthless. If the things that once gave you pleasure or that you know normally give other people pleasure are leaving you unmoved, if your kid is giving you a kiss and saying, good night, mommy, and you're just wanting to get back to your TV show or your book or your newspaper, if you're not experiencing life fully, this may be the treatment for you. And the worse that is, and the more remedies you've tried to reverse that, that have not, the more important it is that you try this. But I've had people who are very highly functioning people who are not what you would typically think of as depressed. They don't have major depressive disorder. They don't have bipolar disorder. They're not OCD but they're just having the blahs. They're having a late midlife crisis. Their marriage is stale. They're accomplished at their work, but they're not getting any satisfaction from it anymore. It seems like same old, same old. Their golf or their gin game, they're going through the motions because they're on their calendar to do, but it's not bringing them any satisfaction. Mm -hmm. I've had people like that come and just be, thrilled to get their lives back. To be doing exactly what they were doing before. But now it has meaning. Now they feel connected. Now they're getting some joy.
1: This is remarkable. Yeah, it's almost well it could be called a reset. So you kind of
0: Yes, for those people it is. Because outside an external view they're not transformed. They're doing the same thing they did before they had their treatment. But now it's producing some fulfillment. That's the other end of the spectrum, as as you put it, the well healed end, the accomplished end.
1: I'm going to give a plug for something that we haven't talked about, and you can poo-poo it if you want. But I came in for a treatment uh, prophylactically because I had two weeks of business travel, intense meetings, tough negotiations, tough conversations, lots of stress and anxiety about the trips and i came in the week before and had a great two weeks was able to just have a transformative experience um i don't know if that's uh, dr mandel approved but that's how i used it the other thing that i think that people need to understand is that you don't need or want to wait until you get to the place where you're looking up to see bottom before you go in to see dr mandel i'm a big fan of killing two birds with one stone. So I'm going to make a proposition for people that are interested in this, which is take a mental health break for yourself. Take a vacation if you don't have a ketamine clinic near you and come out to LA and Dr. Mandel's clinic can treat you with the protocol in one week's time, five consecutive days. And then you can also have time in beautiful Los Angeles, do some minor things afterward, not, you probably, we were talking about this before. Why don't you share with us what you you were saying, Dr. Mendel, you probably don't want to do complex tasks right after your treatment.
0: Our traditional or mainstay or standard, there's no real standard, but our typical protocol is six infusions in two weeks, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Okay. We also do two a week for three weeks, but we have many Patients who are coming to us from far away, including other countries and other continents. We actually have patients coming from Australia, in addition to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates and Spain and Germany and Finland and Thailand and wow. Chile, uh, Argentina. It's remarkable how many see people are
1: I can see why
0: uh if you can stay two weeks what elizabeth is proposing is wonderful therapeutically come five days you're done you can get back to your life if you want to make it a vacation and stay two weeks the intervening day is a day of healing this medicine works very quickly or at least it starts to work very quickly but it works gradually i tell my patients to think of this conceptually, not as a switch being thrown, but as a seed being planted. Oh. And You plant this, the ketamine as the seed and the brain is the substrate and you give a little water, a little fertilizer, and you have to give a little time.
1: It's like a little pearl of sand in an oyster. Yeah, that's beautiful, yes. So and what happens in our brain then in that ensuing time in the healing? What should we do to support our brain and our healing? I think I shared with you and I've shared with the audience before, I took up transcendental meditation right at the same time that I did my first infusions with you and have maintained that practice and see that as an amazing adjunct. So some sort of mindfulness or meditation practice. But what else from a therapeutic point of view or nutritional, do you have any recommendations for people?
0: We do. Uh, Ketamine is... Really wonderful. Very powerful. It's not a cure. It's not a standalone. It's not something you do instead of other things that are good for you. Right. Something you do in addition to other things that are good for you. One of the beauties? Yes.
1: Oh, I just wanted to ask a question. Uh, If someone is depressed and they're on any medication or multiple meds for depression, they come in to get ketamine and they go through your protocol, would they likely get Off their medications, or is it just that their mood improves but everything else stays status quo?
0: Many patients are able to reduce or even eliminate other medication.
1: Okay.
0: Sorry, I interrupted uh, you. No, that's a goal. But I was saying that ketamine is not a standalone, and its benefits are tremendously enhanced and extended in time by the use of these other things. And our aftercare program. We stress five things particularly. They are sleep. Sleep hygiene is super important. Nutrition, physical exercise. Doesn't have to be Olympic kind of exercise. It's got to be moderate but regular. A warm interpersonal relationship. And talking therapy. The mindfulness that you mentioned, the meditation, whatever kind of meditation you're comfortable with, is a tremendous facilitator and extender. People could come in and have ketamine infusions and not do any of these things, but they'll be re-depressed soon or sooner, and they'll be back for more infusions sooner, and we'll be able to restore the benefit. But if they want the benefit sustained, the beautiful thing about the treatment is it gives you the oomph to do all these other things that you knew you needed to do, but you didn't have the energy or the focus or the belief or the commitment. To oh. actually get up and do
1: brilliantly said that's exactly what it feels like it's like somebody just got me focused and i wouldn't say energetic as much as just energized to yeah. to do something and move forward that's a really good way of explaining it you're
0: not um, speedy, but you're focused
1: Another thing that happens with me and TM is now I am able to recreate some of the disassociative symptoms that I had while I was getting ketamine infusions at your office while I'm in my meditative only state. So something is going on up there in the brain where those memories and pathways that were experienced in your clinic... Are coming back now in meditation, which is they were very pleasant. I explained this on a podcast. My all three infusions with you have been different, and I have heard that's not uncommon. Is that right? That each it is person- right.
0: Very common for patients to say,
1: "Oh gosh, this
0: time was different." And after the pata says you know, they were all different. Mm-hmm. You know, the ketamine sort of provides. The fuel and the mechanism for the journey. But the patient design I love,
1: I love talking to you because you know what my first thought was, and it just makes sense to me. After I got out of my third one and it was I've even talked about it on air, I was like, hmm, it just wasn't like the other one. My second one was amazing, but I realized each time I went in, I went in with a different mindset, a different Like either I was not feeling as well, or one morning I did slip and have a little coffee before I went in, the other morning I didn't. So I was sleepier when I underwent the infusions. Who knows what happens, but it is very different every time and you can't, I couldn't predict it. But the second time that I went, it was amazing because I was, I disassociated from my body very quickly. And then I flew over a globe of my life with various scenes, and it was just very cool. But tell us what disassociation is. What does that mean? Because almost 99.9% of the time we say that word and we think crazy, schizophrenic, not good, you don't want to disassociate. So what is that? What is disassociative?
0: Okay, I do want to make a comment on what you just said, because it really resonates with me. And there's... ample research. It's not just a thought that I had or that you had. The mental set that you have going into your infusion is the single most important thing in determining its outcome.
1: Mm.
0: It's super important. And many people come to my clinic because we establish a place that is serene, that is safe, where people can relax and feel comfortable.
1: It's beautiful. I love it
0: and not vulnerable. right? And that's super important. The mental set that you have is crucial to your having a good experience. And you're gonna have a dissociative experience. And what is a dissociative experience? Well, it's maybe all those weird things that Elizabeth just said, but actually we all disassociate all the time. And it's a huge spectrum when you're waiting online at the post office or waiting to get to the check stand so you can pay at the grocery store and you're thinking about what you're going to do tonight or what you did last night or how it's going to be when you get together with your grandchildren or your boyfriend or whatever it is going on in your head, your mind and body are separate. That's what dissociation is. So true. Dissociating all the time. You come to a red light and you, you know, part of your body is, mind is vigilant to see where it's turning green but the other part of your body is rehearsing what you're going to have at that interview you're going to you're disassociated part of you is not
1: in that car at all so okay wait you just made me think about something because i've been studying for a while now what you've been just saying about having these different experiences in and out of body and things like that but you just said something that totally made me think about this in a new way We have autopilot, like when you're sitting at the light and it turns green and you take your foot off the brake, put the gas on, right? While your brain is not cognitive of any of that, but you've had transmission through the eyes to the back of the brain. You've had motor neurons do something because you got to move. Wow. And yet your consciousness of some sort is disconnected and it's somewhere else, right? Yes. So that's what you're saying is happening?
0: I'm saying dissociation is a huge spectrum. Okay. And at the, if you will, the shallow end or the mild end, we all dissociate all the time. At the other extreme, we can be so...
1: So dreams are the extreme, right? Because our body's here and our consciousness is somewhere completely different, right?
0: Dreams are certainly further along on that spectrum. Or but on. the extreme of the spectrum is usually because of a chemical. DMT. We really lose track of who we are. DMT. And we don't know who we are or where we are or which end is up. And that's an extreme degree of dissociation that we do not recommend, that we do not achieve in this clinic or want to achieve in this clinic. We want to guard against <laughs> DMT. Many drugs in excess can do that.
1: Yeah.
0: Ketamine used recreationally can cause that degree of dissociation. LSD causes that degree of dissociation. DMT. MDMA can as well. Really? Psilocybin can. Most of the mind-altering substances, if pushed, can do that. Massive amounts of alcohol can do that. Really? Yeah. And
1: Not people, withdrawal, but actually drinking can cause Yes,
0: that. If people have what they call blackouts oh sure. I mean, they're not blacked out it's their ability to store what they're doing is blacked out and they emerge not knowing what they did
1: so why is it helpful to have a disassociative trip in the treatment of anxiety depression ptsd pain how about pain let's just take pain how in the heck does this work for pain to help you disassociate? Is it break up a pain signal or have anything to do with substance P or is it just what? What is it?
0: Well, it turns out ketamine can help you and help your mood without disassociation. The anecdote that you told at the beginning about the young woman who had an anesthetic and was transformed, she was not disassociated. She was dissociated to the point where she was in a chemical coma. She was unconscious. And yet she had the benefit. The guys coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan in the 90s who formed, whose response formed the basis for the observations that led to the use of this medicine for people with depression, they were put to sleep for surgery. They didn't have the disassociative experience that you and I are speaking about now. They went way past that into unconsciousness. Right. Yet they benefited. However, as you point out, having a dissociative experience is facilitatory of having the transformation that people come to see, to get here. It does improve the quality and probably the response rate. Probably more people get a better response if you can hit the sweet spot where they're dissociated but still conscious. Hmm. So we strongly advocate for that. There is a little bit of research as to whether or not dissociation is necessary to the transformation that ketamine provides.
1: Well, presumably uh, if it was, then the nose spray wouldn't work, right? Because that's not disassociating. The patient.
0: But it does produce dissociation. Unfortunately, it only produces it very briefly because the nasal spray is a solitary squirt. And then a few minutes later, you give a second squirt. Whereas... With intravenous, and we're talking about root of administration, we get down into the weeds here. We give ketamine intravenously and we use precision pumps, not an IV drip. So we know exactly how many micrograms per minute the patient is getting every single minute. The patient has an IV in and raises his hand up, the drip goes slower. The patient takes his hand off the armrest and puts it down by his side, The drip goes faster, we don't use drips. We use precision pumps. This steady state of ketamine infusion over time is the major factor in producing the transformation that we seek, that we offer, and that differentiates us from recreational ketamine, which is given as a bolus, as a lump, as a one time. And you get a sudden huge rise in blood level and an immediate decline, and it's episodic. And it's the same medicine, but it's a totally different therapeutic effect or not therapeutic effect. You need the steady-state continuous infusion to get the result. And I'm a pioneer in doing this. And one of the early innovations that I made and that shared widely with others, because I founded an organization for ketamine practitioners or the American Society of Ketamine Physicians, most responsible practitioners in the United States are members. It's, it's the umbrella organization for people who care for people using ketamine. That's and amazing. Most of those advocate for what I started advocating for, which is that you have to adjust the dose to suit the patient. You can only do that, adjusting the dose, if you're giving it continuously. If you give it in a muscle or you give it up the nose, the dose that you gave is the dose they got. There's no adjusting. We come in and examine our patients and interact with our patients and change the dose accordingly. That was a major innovation at the time, although now most practitioners do do that. Although most don't do it during an infusion. They do it between infusions.
1: Right. I had I my if you do it during an infusion. Yeah, I had my dose adjusted throughout the infusions. It's, it's nice. And it's nice to have people come in this last time. It's interesting, as you've been talking about some of this stuff, I've had some flashbacks and some memories that I had forgotten about the experience of the actual treatment and the actual infusion. I felt at one point, like I had been gone for a long time. And yes. like, days. I was like, wow, I'm still here at this clinic. I can't believe it. It's been days and hours and it felt so long. And it had been, I think she said 15 minutes or something, (laughs) Cool but it gives you that. I think one of the best ways I can describe this treatment, even though it's done way more for me than this is it helps you get out of your own way. And yeah,
0: that's a great way to say it.
1: Stop the rumination, Over focusing on the negative and the things that don't matter and the triggers. I mean, people talk a lot about triggers in PTSD, but there's triggers in people that are depressed and anxious and addicted and painful. I know a lot of people that get triggered into having pain just by even thinking about something that they have to do. You know, they start to say, Oh, I got to go mow the lawn. Oh, my back. You know, so thoughts are just so powerful. That if this drug can interrupt that rumination or the people that just wake, this is not what it is. But if you feel like you just can't wake up with the glass half full, it's always half empty, and you just can't get out of your own way. You know, do this for your quality of life, and do it before it's too late. And the reason why we're talking about this on the Not Old Yet podcast is because. Not only are you the perfect example of not old yet doing what you do at this stage in your life, but because there's so many people that are in their 50s and 60s and even 70s that are going to live for decades that may be suffering right now. You know, there may be people that uh, feel that because they were in a war that's, you know, not remembered that often, that they're too old to have a new life and a new way of thinking. There may be people that think that because they're retired that nobody cares if they have a better mood or whatnot. Trust me, we care. If you're miserable and you've got decades left to live, this could be a really potentially life-changing treatment option for you. And people like you, Dr. Mendel, are just incredible that you are doing this, pushing the industry forward, pushing medicine forward. I want to give everyone your URL before we pause and say goodbye. Do you have any final words of wisdom or anything that you'd like to part with? I'm just so thrilled to know you and have you on the show. Thank
0: you very much. It's really uh, an honor and a privilege to be on your show. And I very much appreciate the opportunity to let people know about this. This really is transformative. If you are getting in your own way, As Elizabeth very beautifully says,
1: yeah. If you're your own worst
0: enemy, you continue to get in your own way. The pain you've had, you've had. It's true and it's real and it's never ever going to be taken away. But continuing to suffer from those experiences is really an option, and you don't have to choose that option. Right. You can be who you wish to be. You don't have to be what happened to you. I this agree. Help.
1: You are not what happened to you. and
0: you owe it to yourself to explore the possibility that you can have as full and rich a life as you wish
1: for. And you're not old yet and you might as well do something about it, which is why I wanted to have you on the show. I think there's a lot more for us to talk about at other times, but if people want to reach you, they can find you at ketamineclinics.com, correct? Yes. Ketamine Clinics.
0: Ketamine Clinics with an S.com. Yes.
1: And that's the Ketamine Clinics of Los Angeles. And that's here in your uh what's your actual city? Is it just Los Angeles or
0: We're in Los Angeles.
1: Really close to Marina Del Rey, though, right?
0: Close to Marina Del Rey, close to Culver City, just above Westchester. Okay. Because right LA up. is a
1: big place, I found out.
0: <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is.
1: So you can be almost in Pasadena and call it LA. Yeah. And then the phone number is 310-270-0625. 310-270-0625. And ketamine clinics with an S dot com. And you can see Dr. Mandel and his lovely staff there. And if you call, I know you'll have a great experience. I did and was never sorry that I started down the path of investigating this. If you think you have PTSD, if you are depressed, if you suffer from anxiety or even chronic pain, and maybe you're on the cycle of taking the narcotics and drinking alcohol and now maybe we're peppering in the cannabis, you know, and you're just still not finding that you're getting better and that you're feeling better, give Dr. Mandel's clinic a call. It was life-changing for me. And thank you so much, sir, for being here. It's been a real pleasure and you are definitely not old yet.
0: It's great to have spent time with you, Elizabeth. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you. We'll talk to you again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.